Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. We don't have a guest this week. Our our guest is uh, our guest is all of you. Our guest is us. Yes. Be our guest. It's made of real gorilla chest. The Simpsons, right? <laughs> yeah. Is that okay? Cool. More or less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, we have almost 600 listeners on average per episode. Yep. That's pretty, pretty, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty fly. Um, and, and if I may make a shout out real quick to, um, you gotta love watching those metrics. I, I've been particularly interested lately in Sweden. It would no. appear, let's see here. For some reason, Sweden, uh, the metrics are completely incapable of tracking where you guys are. So yeah. 55 of the, 75 or so listeners are from unknown sweden unknown so if you are a swedish listener make yourself known to us yeah tell tell us about what's happening in that part of the world i got nothing yeah what's kicking in sweden Mm -hmm. let's hear from you all right uh my name is rob ray uh i use the he his gender pronoun i run the exoskeleton arts base in los angeles and uh, I'm an experienced director at an interactive agency here in Los Angeles. And I am currently uh, in Windover, Utah. So if I sound a little bit different, it's because I'm not in the, in the studio, in the studio at home. It's because of the altitude. Are you drinking? Uh, are you drinking illegal beer right now? <laughs> I, or I near, am near beer. I am. I am. Windover is a town that is on the border of Nevada and Utah. There is West Windover, Nevada, and there is Windover, Utah. I'm on the Utah side mm-hmm. right now, which means beer is, is poor. It means that, and it actually means because this is a kind of split town, I don't even know if there is any store that sells beer on this side of the of the state mm-hmm. line. I think everybody just drives over to the other side. Yeah, is, is there some kind of, I, I want to know what the line looks like over which alcohol is either permitted or not permitted. Just like a like a row of drunks laid foot to <laughs> yeah. foot to ear. Yeah, I think it's. <laughs> I, yeah, it might be the like corner, the edge of the liquor store building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, creates. Now, the line. Rob, you spent some time in Detroit, right? I did. Yeah, because oh, yeah. yeah, wasn't that weren't they all called party stores in Detroit? Party store. That was weird. Yep. Yep. Yeah, do you know, are there any more of those? Like uh, with a place where you get your booze, uh, calling it some kind of cute name like that? Oh. Uh, in Utah... Here, here it's just going to the Jewels. It, yeah, right? Yeah. In Florida, I think it's called a drive through <laughs> uh, Zing! Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Utah, you can go to a state liquor store. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, but it's just called the state liquor store, I think. It's not called anything. Mm-hmm. And then what's the idea there? It's the, it's the, the government is... The only one with the license to sell? Yeah, that's a good question. Because you can get whatever you want at the state liquor store. It's not like... Mm. You know, I didn't check the beer. I never get beer there. Because I think you can't get... I'm like dipping into Utah knowledge that I don't have. But I think you can't get liquor liquor anywhere else other than the liquor state liquor store. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the beer there is more potent than the beer at the corner store or not. Rob, I should I should mention real quick that I'm I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist and educator based in Chicago, noted tall person, and I'm a he his kind of guy. Are you you're in Chicago proper right now at at the at the home? Yep, I'm sitting in my basement uh in the Dungeons and Dragons zone, getting ready to share creative projects with you. And Yay. I, I totally uh I totally kinda cheated this week. Oh. I didn't I didn't study well, the problem was this is our first sort of nonsensical challenge, right? It was, uh, wait, what was it again? It's exceptions. Exceptions to, to Originard. I spent two whole weeks thinking it was alternatives to Originard. Oh. Not that that, <laughs> that really matters. Similar, yeah. But uh, I think like three minutes ago, I thought, uh oh, I better get my, I better put my MFA hat on and talk my way out of this. Dig, dig in. Yes, John Satram in episode fourteen gave us exceptions to mm-hmm. Originard. Um, and we, Taylor and I have had to think hard on this one. Before we dive in, Rob, I want to, I want to I wanna give you some listener feedback. Oh, cool. Uh, I've, I already, I already told you about this somewhat earlier, but I'm curious for your official, your official take on this listener, Dave, 
a good friend who's been with us since the beginning. Dave said that we had been getting better, uh, that the first ones were a little bit hard to listen to. But, you know, that's any project. Listener Dieter, however, suggested that we're too nice, Rob. Yeah. We are too nice. So what do you make of that? Yeah, I, I, if we're lucky, Dieter's listening right now. And I, th- I think, you know, I think he has listened to every episode, so we have to give him some credence. Yeah. I mean, I'm always grateful that we have a guest on and that they do the challenge. And so mm-hmm. yeah. I'm always excited that someone has come along on the ride with us. So I, Indeed. Yeah, I can't help but be nice because someone <laughs> put up with like a weirdo <laughs> challenge that we emailed them and then two weeks later had come up with a thing that's pretty much always super awesome. So yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's hard to like be like, well, why isn't it better? I think part of it too is that we're all experiencing the projects for the first time. So we mm-hmm. don't have a ton of time to think on them in a cl- not a lot of course correcting yeah yeah right right so yeah i don't know mm-hmm. but we'll you know noted noted Dieter. we'll uh we hear you Dieter. yeah we'll dig in and we'll see what's up uh, well, while we're on the while we're about. on the listener feedback tip um shout out to yeah. david from new zealand which is super cool someone oh. from new zealand is listening um i don't think i've seen this email yet oh yeah he is working on some super cool stuff and I'm going to paraphrase what he's working on. He sent a really cool Mm -hmm. photo uh, and I'm about to drop a sticker uh, in the mail to him to New Zealand, which is super nice. Yeah. Um, Is is that the first sticker we're sending out after 15 episodes? No, it's not. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) David. Yeah. So Dave is working on um, a couple of really cool things. Um, He's working on giving us a compliment about the podcast, so thanks for that. Uh, he's also mm-hmm. working on a word clock, which is a very oh, classic project. Interesting, mm-hmm. yeah, cool project. And he said he's also working on a steampunk slash World War II military inspired FM radio, which sounds rad. Using an RDA fifty eight oh seven module, which I don't know what that is, so I'll look it up and find out. But anyway, I haven't encountered that one. RDA fifty seven? Did you say RDA fifty eight oh seven? It reminds me of this one time that I was at the Detroit Maker Fair and I met a guy who said that he was a member of both the steampunk and furry communities. Ooh. And it just completely blew my mind. I I, I mean, he wasn't currently <laughs> dressed up in that way, but I was thinking like, what would be an incredible third subculture to add to that list, Rob? Steampunk. Really no. Furry, spot. furry and steampunk, right? Furry steampunk and <laughs> nudist, nudist. <laughs> oh, and that reminds me. There's a link I did not get to share with you guys. I can't even remember which podcast it would possibly have been. Uh, maybe it's when we had when we were doing our uh, flag podcast. But I found something that there's actually a um, a fascist furry subculture. Can you believe that? Oh my god. Yeah, they're called furzies. Oh my god! <laughs> oh. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Oh. So yes, I will. I will throw that link up. We don't have to talk about that at all if you don't want to. But I, <laughs> I figured. But but it, see, Rob, you're actually a big fan. Am I right? Of talking, not necessarily trying to infiltrate subcultures, but to just to go in and say, "Here's who I am," and ask them really blunt questions, and they often get kind of weirded out by that right yeah yeah i do like doing that wait, wait, what do you think is your attraction to that to that sort of mode because you you've done it with um gay truckers right was one of your projects but what was that one all about yeah i um i was curious about gay truckers because truckers truckers are sort of the last gasp of like um, american maleness in a way it's like the sort of mm-hmm. um it's like a rancher i feel like mm. a it's like the open road. Yeah, like a rancher persona, like but mm-hmm. sort of um shot through the heart by hypercapitalism. You know, like 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 yeah. like you're you're driving That's a nice challenge, man. Yeah, <laughs> you're driving the <laughs> you're driving your your the wares, you know. You're you're getting them yeah. to where they need to be. But it's like, you know, iPhones and stuff. Like, I don't know, instead of cattle. Capitalism still has to be involved, whether it's cowboys or truckers, right? Yeah. So I was curious about, like, like the gay cowboy kind of became, uh, mm-hmm. kind of entered the public 
mind. And uh, I was like, well, what about truckers? Like, you hear about like lot lizards, which is sort of um, yeah. sex workers at truck stops and stuff. And you're like, well, is that, mm-hmm. is that, are there, are there gay lot lizards or, you know, like gay male lot lizards? I don't know. So I got just thinking about that. And, and there was a, actually a podcast um, by a guy called The Gay Trucker. I'm not sure if he's still podcasting or not. But it was one of the first podcasts <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to listen to. Yeah, it was real interesting and just talking about his life and stuff. And, uh, and then, yeah, and then I got into listening to, uh, the CB radio and you would hear lots of truckers on CB radio and some of them would kind of talk about their sex life and stuff. And so I would talk to them about their sex life and sort of ask them about, about their, you know, sexual orientation and stuff. And some of them would kind of. Like, yeah, I don't, I'm not like it's there. It was more complicated than you sort of might think it would be. So it was, it was, I don't know. So I got kind of into that. And that was over the CB when you were doing that? Yeah. 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 Did you have any recordings of that? I do. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I like some weird subcultures or like just weird because I feel like I have learned, gotten a lot from some of them myself. And so like, sure. what, what do people, how do people find community and stuff? There is another thing I'd like to ask you about. Oh. Um, particularly because we don't have a guest this week yeah. and I've been thinking a lot about it, but as a, as a web professional, oh. I'm just curious, uh, where you're at with this, uh, Equifax nonsense. Oh God. I mean, do you see that? I mean, everybody must've maybe at this point has gone to like the site that you're supposed to go to, to see if Equifax. I, I have, I have not plugged that in because it just seems so fraught. What what is it like? Equifax Security 2017, something like it that. Look, yeah, and it looks so janky. I was like, "Who made this?" Like, <laughs> okay, hang on. I I gotta I gotta lay eyes on this thing with you. This is <laughs> this is too good. But there's all this stuff like Equifax support team is sending people to a fake site. Did you read that thing? Oh my god! This was just the just the other day, but it just sounds like they're just boning it so hard. And then it's a company that you can't. You know, none of us ever signed up to be Equifax clients, and it's like sixty percent of the population of the U.S. Right, one hundred forty-three million people. God, I'm looking at Equifax Security Twenty Seventeen dot com. Is that what you're looking at? They changed it. Yeah. Oh, okay, because I was going to say it, it does seem relatively. I mean, it's not it's not a beautiful site by any means, but this looks at least like like it has that like design aesthetic of this is purely informational <laughs> you know <laughs> like there's no aspirational design work in here oh interesting so what so aspirational would just be aesthetic for the sake of it or what or just like what might that be yeah there's no like um friendly tone there's no hero image mm. you know <laughs> well if you scroll down you get a like a four thousand k um, oh, image of a white guy in a shirt. Yeah, with his mouth open. Hero, hero image. <laughs> like someone had to pick that YouTube still, and it's this guy with like his mouth wide open. I really wish I could see the titles of the books that are behind him, but the uh, yeah, the focal plane is too shallow. Yep. Yeah, they did the. It's probably all yeah. like uh, you know, it's yeah, WordPress for dummies. Yeah, like um, you know, out of work, out of work only four hours in a week or something. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's got to be a West Coast guy for sure. Oh yeah, he's he's this, uh, are these just my stereotypes coming through? He's a digital nomad. Yes, indeed. You know, actually, the um, there's a, the guy who goes by a digital Ronin, which on any other person, I would I would think, well, you know, like how can you get away with that? But that's Bunny Huang, and that guy's so badass. Yeah. It's just like okay, he's a super badass. <laughs> he can be. Be whatever you want, man. But, but but Rob, but just before we get off of this, and this might be totally boring to you, but it blows my mind the stuff with the hero image and all oh, that. Oh yeah, and, I, and I'm yeah. I'm just curious because it's so evocative, right? So so a hero image, I guess, on another site would be you know Nike having somebody like yep. blasting a backboard, and then yep. he would be sort of violating the rectangle of the image. And like, am yep. I getting this right? Yeah, totally. Kind of oh yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I'm just curious. I mean, I'd love. Uh, what other of those things do you find sort of evocative, particularly that Equifax is either doing or not doing here on this website? You can see certain things. Like if you look in the upper right-hand corner of this website, there's a tiny weird yeah. thing that just says message from Equifax CEO. 
<laughs> yeah, with a, ti- a tiny uh, uh, camera button. Yeah. But no preview. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> what? You know that's there because someone in a meeting was like, the video from the CEO is too far down the page. It's below the fold. <laughs> oh, is it the, is it the same link? Oh yeah, it's it's just a uh, it's just a uh, what should we call it link? It just yep. put, yeah, it's just an anchor. Exactly. Right? So yeah. someone in the someone <laughs> in some meeting said that yeah. video has to be higher up the page, and someone said no, and that their agreement was, well, we'll put a, an anchor link at the top, so you can <laughs> click on that, and then it scrolls you down the page past what is ostensibly the most important thing, which is their press releases about, yeah. about the yeah. incident, like. There should be a very clear message on this page. It just says, "Find out if you've been affected, and what does yeah. what does being affected actually mean for you?" Right? Like, and instead, what we get is a bunch of recent updates with press releases, of which right. th- three of them are all named the same thing: a progress update for consumers, September 14, twenty seventeen; a progress update for consumers, September 13, twenty seventeen; <laughs> a progress update for consumers, September eleven, twenty seventeen. It's like really, yeah. Sorry, I, I just and then this website on blast for a second. <laughs> the no, no, absolutely, because we'll see here. See here, we're being mean, Rob. Yeah. We're being so mean. Oh yeah, that corporation yeah. feels good. Dieter, we're bringing it. I mean, the, the stuff I'm looking at, for example, enroll to protect and monitor your credit for free, is a button that has a really weird informational hierarchy. Um, but then, if you look on the right hand side. There's one, two, three, four, five items that all are reverse indented. It's just so strange. I mean, it seems like this should be such a simple thing, which is we totally screwed the pooch, yeah. and then here's how it's going to get fixed. Uh, Rob, Rob, are you ready to talk inventions? Yes. I think, Excellent. I think you're first. Okay, so in mine, um, when, I kind of have two... Although only one of them, I think, is interesting to talk about on the radio. Okay. So, <laughs> so or whatever we call this. Yeah. So yeah. So just just crack open the uh, the zip I sent you, and it's a mix of uh, images and movies. Uh-huh. Cool. And I, and again, a reminder: we're a reminder we're talking about. Alternatives to Originard, which up until half an hour ago... Oh, we'll see. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. Exceptions to Originard. Okay, so the first JPEG is um, something that came up, I think, on a previous episode, which is a flocking kit. Ah, yes. <laughs> and a flocking kit is... Uh, and what I and it, this is what's in the first photo is a tube within a tube. It's sort of like a if you think of like a comic, um, like bug sprayer, like in a cart, like a Looney Tunes cartoon or something, where you sort of like push one tube into the other and that pumps um, air through a kind of grill, uh, like a collapsing telescope. Yeah, telescope. Yeah, yeah. Sort, sort of bike pump style. You can imagine like air is sucked uh-huh, in one side and pushed uh-huh. out the other. And inside that tube, you put. What I guess it's called flocking material. Is that right? Mm, fibers. Fibers, yeah. yeah. And those fibers blow out the little holes. And in order for those fibers to stick to something, you coat whatever it is you want to be flocked uh, with a kind of glue or resin or something. Um, mm-hmm. And typically what you would find flocking material in, I think of as like a jewelry box, where it would be mm-hmm. wooden on the outside, but has typically like green or red, kind of red velveteen um, uh, surface. It's very kind of low, low pile, like um, tight, small little specks of nice, soft material. And so mm-hmm. in the first image, it looks like I see a plastic bin with a nice, maybe one foot by one foot roughly shaped box, really nice wood. Um and it looks like the flocking kit is ready ready to go. So I'm going to look on the second video. Ooh, and I see some green flocked stuff. I feel like green, the flocking looks often like a pool table, like it's that kind of surface. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like felt. Yeah, yeah. felt. Yeah, right. Yeah, thanks. Oh, yeah. There we are, peeling away some flocking material. Third JPEG. Oh, is a hammerhead. 
with no handle. <laughs> and it's sitting on top of a container of what looks to be pink, um, like mold making material or like silicone rubber. Yep. Can't get anything by this guy, man. Aha, cool. <laughs> so I'm looking at the fourth MOV. Uh, okay, cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I see some oxyacetylene torch action heating up what looks to be like a single cupcake tin. <laughs> oh, yep. that's been good. Looks slightly dangerous, but looks like good safety precautions are being used. Aha! And I see what looks to be an item from a previous episode. Mm-hmm. And those are those look to be the the bones from the Dungeons and Dragons episode, episode two. Is that right? Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. And they are those are three D printed. Um, is it uh, bones from a wrist hand? They're yeah. sheep knuckle bones. Sheep knuckle bones. Yeah. Yeah. The knuckle bones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And they're paint painted or or dipped in gold in some way, shape, or form. And then, oh, nice. What Taylor has made is he has made, he has taken the Originard version of his project (laughs) in episode two and made a super fly version of it in this episode with like really nice flock, internal flocked, um, Dice, um, um, what's the right word? Box. Uh, yeah, what kind sure. of wood is that? Man, Reb, you're going to make this episode about five minutes long. You just, uh, I think I can, I can only correct you on one thing. The uh, the wood the wood is actually not special. The the thing with flocking is that they it sort of encourages the use of less interesting wood because it can uh, cover it over, you know, and sort of oh, make yeah. it feel yeah, yeah. Nicer. I think. I think it's just pine. Oh, um, it looks good. Oh, it's it's poplar. It's oh yeah. Poplar. Okay. Yeah. It's got a real um, nice green. It's like wavy, but like not distracting. That's yeah, nice. I, th- I think it turned out all right. I mean, that's it's the original box from episode two. Oh, it is. Oh, but cool. then the um, the the only update I would make on what you were saying is the um, that's the actual color of the metal. So this is um this is pewter. That's uh it's lead free. Oh. Uh, which is also. Uh, I think commercially known as Britannia metal, oh. which inspires the nerd in me. That means I missed um, the casting step. So, I mean, it's I didn't have it as expressly laid out, but if you look at that that second MOV, yep. um, you're right that I, I have a little muffin tin that I just got because it was steel, so I got it from the dollar store for a dollar ten, and um, and then yeah, I mean, you c- I could have done it in my home stove. I was just trying to really keep it isolated so I have it under a fume hood. But you can pour the pewter directly into silicone, uh, which I was amazed oh. to see and do it multiple times. So I just made a little cup mold where the um, the 3D print I had made of the knuckle bone, you know, I, I stuck a little uh, cone made out of um, oil clay to a piece of wood, and then I stuck the knuckle bone to that, and then I just dunked it into a cup full of silicone and let it set. And then I just cut the silicone away sort of halfway down so I could peel the thing open yeah. to allow the original to come out. And you could just cast the silicone or the uh, uh, pewter right in there. So I was kind of amazed. That is really that it cool. It didn't just all explode or something. Yeah. Yeah, because the silicone, I guess, doesn't deform under high, high heat. Huh? I I think I think right so this is Moldmax 30 for anyone who's worked with these products it okay. it worked fine and and they sell a high heat version of that um but it I mean I I cast 3 and there didn't appear to be any permanent damage to the thing and it it also didn't smell that bad either I mean it it fumed a little bit on the first cast uh-huh. but then every cast after that you know either it was odorless tasteless poison gas or nothing at all so <laughs> oh, yeah, that's cool. Wow, that's great. Oh, I I will say at the end of the last MOV, mm-hmm. there's a guest appearance. <laughs> that's right. By Audrey. Rolling the bones. Audrey Piper. Yep. Mm-hmm. Throwing, throwing those snake eyes. Uh, Audrey reports that they have a nice hand feel. Did we talk about this dude who casts furniture 
who just like goes out into next to a lake and casts a stool out there? No. Oh, great. I, I, I got to show you this guy. Let me find this link. There was this really cool residency that went by that was in some Nordic country, maybe Sweden. I, I should find out. Uh-huh. Um, but they, they had this huge shipyard. I think it was called the Assens Shipyard. And there was so much iron there that you could just, the, the main draw of the residency was they would give you some money and then they would say, just pick up as much iron as you can carry. It's like like supermarket, uh, what was that game show? The supermarket shuffle or something? We'll figure it out. So so <laughs> they would give you some money to make something, but then you could just grab all the iron you could take and make stuff. So my proposal was I was researching, um, where was Bluetooth invented was this norway i don't know i'm trying to remember trying to remember but but bluetooth do you, do you know where the bluetooth name comes from no so it's it's harold bluetooth who was uh one of these he was like one of the last kings and again i'm gonna have to look this up i'm just gonna say it's norway and we'll find out later but uh-huh. uh, so he he was, you know, he he was sort of a a member, the last member of the conventional religion, the sort of pagan religion um, that had Yggdrasil, you know, the symbol, the, yeah. the tree of life. It's this, and then his son came around, and his son was the one that converted the uh, nation to Christianity. So he brought in um, Jesus and that whole mythology. But you know, you don't just leave behind the stuff you grew up with on a dime. So. There's this incre- they have these incredible stones that were that the kings had carved and that the sunstone has Yidris I think it's like Jesus crucified to Yidrasil or something. It's it's like it's amazing uh combination of those cultures, you know, transitioning from one to the other. Whoa. And so I had this proposal which was gonna be, you know, a green sand, right, which you can use in casting is really simple. It's just fine sand and uh bentonite clay, which is one of the main ingredients in kitty litter. So the uh, the proposal was I would come to the shipyard, take all the local sand that's just sitting there, and then mix it up with kitty litter and make these giant sand molds, <laughs> and then cast an enormous iPod 2 out of iron. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so so it would be, you know, like um, like monumental scale, maybe f- uh, four or five feet tall, and then it would be the same size as these famous stones that were marking the passage between one era and another. I mean, oh, I don't know. Even as I'm saying it out loud, I'm just thinking, man, I really want to do this. So um, so that, you know, I didn't get the residency. I, I'm guessing they're thinking, like, take this iron and make, you know, like a Chamberlain or some really conventional, you know, contemporary art abstract thing. Right, but, right. But if you, if you watch this video, have you got the video on your end? Oh, it's a... Yes. Go ahead and play it, and we can, we can talk about it yeah, as cool. it's going. So this is this designer, uh, Max Lamb. It's from about 10 years ago. And he just goes out on the beach. And uh, why don't you do some description there while oh, yeah, you're looking cool. at it? Oh, yeah. It's like a time lapse. He's doing some digging, 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 digging. There's some like very calm waters in the background. But it's definitely on the beach. Digging. Oh, there looks like he's making a mold of some kind. And then he laid a piece of plywood on top. And he's doing another dig. that has got some very nice flatness in it. Oh, and I'll pause you there yep. real quick. He um the the plywood's actually just on top of a fire pit, so that's where oh. he's molding. He's uh, melting two big pots of pewter. Oh, cool! And there's some arrows or something that he's. Oh, I see. He's mm-hmm. he made some kind of also mold that I missed, but I think he's driving holes in it for the poor. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. He's chugging along, chugging along. Oh, time lapse. So, so he's he's actually easy. kind of drawing a pattern in the sand oh, on the yeah, ground. Sure he's is. wet wetted the sand. Yep. Um, and then, like uh, Rob said, he's using posts or poles to make really deep holes at intervals straight down. Oh, he just sprayed something interesting in the maybe it's just water. I think so. Although when I was thinking about it in retrospect, I mean, if you pour molten metal in water, that steam can cause molds to kind of explode yeah so i don't know if the presence of this just in the sand prevents that from happening or if that's some other kind of material yeah, right. i think it's water right it's cool because it's almost like this video has a very it's very similar to watching someone build a sand castle but they're doing a, a metal pour instead which is cool mm-hmm. oh yeah so oh see so in this other hole he's melting oh now he's about to pour he's got like a cooking pot 
the pour is happening. Oh, that's interesting. He's pouring it from like multiple places in the mold just to probably make sure it all fills up right. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Oh, so there you go. So it's just steaming. So yep. I guess that was water. Just yep. Came right out. Now, many onlookers have yeah. just showed up. <laughs> And it's funny if you read the YouTube comments because some people get on there and they say, you know, it's so irresponsible to do that with lead. And then he says, no, no, you know, this is, I researched this alloy and it's completely safe. It looks like the size of like a manhole cover or something. Oh, whoa. Yeah, Yeah, right? It's a stool. Like he said, but I missed, I kind of didn't put two and two together. And the the rods he was pushing into the sand were to make the legs of the stool. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the cool thing, we'll link to this guy, but the the cool thing about his work is that he really, he does not hide the means of production, and quite the opposite, he runs towards them. Yeah, so yeah. the the legs that he was making by pushing down, they sort of, they're skinny at the bottom near the foot, and then they flare as they come back up towards the 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 table itself. Yeah. And, and my guess is that they look kind of lumpy. Uh-huh. I mean, they're not very tightly controlled. Yeah, yeah. And so the nature of the process is going to let that stuff get revealed, and he's completely cool with that. But if you look at his portfolio, there's all sorts of stuff where it's just, it's all about, you know, I'm going to drill out this marble, and this is the shape the drill bit leaves behind, and then just making that a design element. Oh, yeah, so it's really yeah, cool, dude. that is cool. Yeah, he, he got me jacked up about doing that stuff. Oh. Taylor, I have a, a slightly strange project for the podcast. Um, so you're doing some narrating. So one comment, certainly starting to watch this, is this is much more polished than the type of documentary we normally make, right? So it's clear you're setting cameras and waiting for certain things, and and you have um, actual narration that you're reading. Yep. So I'm about a minute into the piece, and the shot has been totally static mm-hmm. up until this point. So there's a highway that you know that pulls off of a total horizontal horizon line just slightly occasional trucks or cars going by and then a little uh, mountain that's sort of central to the composition and then the composition's so sparse but you start describing um an an ET character wearing chaps and selling beef jerky yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me really curious <laughs> makes me really curious if we'll get the same static shot Like, there's definitely a film aesthetic, also one that I'm really familiar with from Chicago, that would dictate that you do not change this shot at all, but just talk about, you know, colorful imagery. So I'll be curious to see what happens here. So I'm still watching, and it it seems this will be a really interesting uh, challenge for us to make this legible, at least in part, to the audio audience. Mm -hmm. And it it seems like we'll, and maybe we'll want to play some of this audio. Uh, and direct them to the website for the video. Yeah, that's a good idea. I see four-legged animals, spherical shapes with long antenna, short stubby rainbows, and a long dashed line that looks alike. And then I'm entering a portion that's allowing us a lot of time just to sit with the more or less static shot. I mean, there's a you know, it's cars driving by, mm-hmm. uh, but there's no uh, narrative audio. Okay, so I watched that video. So how how do you want to go about discussing it? Because certainly this, uh, I'm definitely picking up on this being, uh, responding to the alternative part uh, of John's challenge part where, you know. <laughs> the exceptions part. Yeah, because it, it does, it's an, it does jump the tracks a little bit on the type of work that we usually yep make and or talk about yep. on this piece so is that did that have to do with your inspiration there yeah so so it's a it's a video and it's captured with you know pretty good fidelity unlike the video i just had rob watch where uh my piece was on top of a pizza box <laughs> and um it's a view of you know somewhere out in the southwest and likely has to do with the trip that rob's currently on through utah mm-hmm. i can't remember the specific geographical locations that were called out by the narration mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the color palette, you know, it's generally brown, but a little green and yellow. 
Uh, and then with a blue sky with no clouds and split more or less in half with the dividing line running horizontally across the middle. Uh, in the distance, there's a mountainous area uh, with a kind of central peak. So a, a pretty, you know, pretty symmetrical uh, composition, a pretty featureless composition. Mm -hmm. And then the only audio you get that's at least originating from the camera's location or the occasional car driving in either direction, yep. which, you know, gives those nice kind of ocean-like sounds. Yep. And then I think the, you know, the majority of the legible content then, so that's kind of like the tonal content. Yep. And then the other content is Rob's narration, which is clearly not off the cuff, but prepared and read, yep. talking about... So some of the, the there was a bunch of little pieces. So one is a uh, is a stand that sells uh, uh, alien jerky yep. <laughs> uh, with little figures of ET um, in cowboy clothes and with little little guns. Yep. <laughs> uh, there's another talking about you know so that's sort of like the the futuristic uh, cultural markings, and then there's the uh, ancient cultural markings maybe 3,000 years old with petroglyphs that you describe, you know, stubby rainbows and those kinds of shapes. And then there's maybe the, uh, the in-between culture of the, uh, the white folk. Uh, I think you said that one of the, uh, the towns along this route, which was route 318, yep. uh, was just still known as a uh, white man's town or yep. Yep. something like that. So, so what I'm picking up is, you know, from more of a classic, put my fine arts hat on, is that the highway is symbolic of a, uh, you know, transfer or travel between one thing and another. Uh, these things don't have to be geographic. They can be a cultural shift or a, um, a, a distance in time or something like that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's good. I'm, I'm glad you said that because that's kind of what I was going for a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. Highway 318 is, uh, is a very strange... Uh, like a 110 mile stretch through Eastern Nevada. Um, it's a town I end up traveling on a lot, uh, going between Los Angeles and Wendover, Utah, which is where I am right now. Uh, Wendover, Utah is, um, I have had a long standing project that I've been working on out here. It's still not finished, even though I was here for a few days trying to see if I could get it finished, but it's not. Um, is that where the cans come from? Cans? No, no. The, the cans are from the Mojave Desert. Um, okay. I have a large collection of rusty cans. Uh, uh, See episode. Fell mm, on the gaps. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the the theme was exceptions to Originard, and I started to try to unpack for me like what what could an Originard be? Like if it was a word, what 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 kind of meaning would it have? And so I sort of tried to think through like what would an urban dictionary word be, you know, definition of original be, <laughs> or like what would be a kind of cultural, um, word, you know, like, like in some ways, like, um, here's an example of, of kind of what I was thinking of, like, uh, mansplaining is a word that's become a word, um, through this written article, um, by i'm looking it up because i can't remember rebecca solnit is who it who it was who sort of came up with this word and so i was like you know people the role of artists and writers in a lot of ways is to create culture or to sort of point it in a direction and sort of see what happens and so i was like could originard be a word that that becomes a word through people's sort of um uh getting it, you know, and through popular culture or writing or whatever. And I'm not sort of proposing that this video is going to do that. I don't even mention the word originard in there. But but I was like thinking through like for me, like maybe an originard is this idea that the original of something is maybe really our own maybe only like our first experience of it. You know, like mm -hmm. that because I think a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast have sort of thought about, you know, postmodernism or whatever and like this idea of originality is a very suspect thing you know like when you sort of well yeah but, well, but pump your brakes there for a <laughs> sec. I'll, bet, I'll bet we have a significant a significant audience that um i mean certainly they've heard this term before but yeah, how do you define yeah. uh, postmodernism uh so i oh, oh here we go so i think of postmodernism as a response <laughs> 
to modernism. And modernism sure. is a is a sort of um, I think of it as like a, a cultural historian or art historian term to describe a certain mindset and time period in the 20th century where um, sort of novelty was exalted or originality or mm-hmm. the, the new, you know, was, was um, kind of put on a pedestal. And then mm-hmm. with, with anything in life, right, people, the, the pendulum swings the other way. And so we entered a, the world of postmodernism, which is, again, a kind of cultural historian or cultural critic term to sort of describe the time after, post, after modernism. And to me, the, the postmodernism is meant to sort of uh, encapsulate this idea that, that originality or newness was often just a marketing ploy to get you to think about something or understand something or get interested in it or whatever. Um, Nor is it even really possible Right. That degree right. of originality. Right, right. And so it was sort of debunking in a way this modernist idea of the new. Um and so when you think of like mid century modern furniture, like that that's sort of in that realm of modernism, you know, through through uh interior design or architecture or furniture design. Um so so an originard to me was like, oh, maybe an originard is this like this this I this concept that like when you first experience something, you're like, "Oh, this is like a new thing I'm doing," and it's and it. But when you recognize that, like, "Oh, it's just it's just me who's experiencing this thing," other people have been experiencing this thing over time and will experience this thing after I've experienced it. You know that 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 mm-hmm. that people have the same experience, whether that's tied to a location or an object, like a painting or something, um, over time, right? Like like. Millions of people have seen the Mona Lisa, but everyone's first seeing of the Mona Lisa is their moment to see the Mona Lisa, you know? And so to me, like, like the originard was like this sort of weird word I was using to encapsulate that. It sounds like you're making an argument that the, the first viewing is somehow the most pure or something. Well, that it's, that it is, it's not most, the most pure, but that it's, it has meaning through memory that stays with you, right? Like, like, Oh, so it's the only time you see it and are unaffected by your own right. Historicizing of your memory. Right. Right. But like Uh, through repetition, um, mm -hmm. it becomes something else, right? It becomes something that you've done before. It becomes, and not to say that that is a less rich experience because then you have memories and stuff that sort of are additive in my my opinion to the experience and sort of make it mm-hmm. more interesting or cool um, or make it boring, whatever, you know? Um, so I was just trying to like get at this idea of like that an original, this concept of originality is, is maybe only our first experience of it. And that it would be interesting to kind of come up with a way to recognize that as a concept or something. But yeah. So my video is a, is a kind of attempt at that sort of, talking about my memories of traveling down this road and also the features um, that I've come to learn about it as I travel. So I, I love this opportunity for a debate here. Uh-huh. I wanna, yeah. Yeah. I want to put, push some ideas back at you regarding postmodernism and so forth on the face of which I know Dieter would hate. Oh, good. So good. I, I think he, I think he would like the fact <laughs> that we offer some debate yeah. and conflict therein and then he'll hear he'll hear postmodernism and say, "Oh God, <laughs> I've never really thought of modernism and postmodernism in terms of originality." Mm-hmm. I think I, although I'm 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 trying to incorporate that with my, because I think it does incorporate in interesting ways with my perspective, which is that at least from an like if you want to just use the fine arts version, and like you were saying, it's more of a cultural studies thing, but the fine arts version might be, you know, you put the painting in the white room and then it's sort of free from external context. And so that would kind of mirror what you're saying about seeing the Mona Lisa for the first time and being free 
from um, your previous experiences, uh, you know, so you just have this this pure experience. Yeah. And then I think postmodernism, in my opinion, says that's not possible. One is always under the influence of some kind of context creeping in from, you know, the hum of the air conditioning, or if you go to a museum on, you know, free tourist Tuesdays when there's a bunch of people that are just there because of the air conditioning or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's very hot in Chicago right now, so all my <laughs> references are air, air conditioning oriented. Yeah, I heard it was like 100 degrees or something there right now. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, first day of fall. Wow. Yeah, I, I tend to fall really into the postmodernist camp in a very general way, not just in fine arts, but with the notion that sort of that pure experience uh, or original experience, to my mind, is kind of a fiction because... And perhaps the Mona Lisa is too too easy. Like we could find more challenging examples, yeah. but with the Mona Lisa, for example, you've read so much about it, and then you hear like, "Oh, her, you know, her smile is so <laughs> it's so complicated, and it could be happy or horny or sad or you know all these things at once." And then you go actually see these paintings, and then sometimes it just totally they blow your mind because you didn't realize how much you expect them to be X. So like if you went to art school in the same era that Rob and I did. And yes, it's, you know, we're still used to projections, but a projected slide is different. And there's the, there's the sound and the, the way that the color happens. And it's also hot, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's hot in those rooms. Yeah. And so, um, like when I, I remember really specifically going to the Art Institute and seeing that famous Van Gogh we've all seen, which is the self-portrait where he's looking out and there's the... Um, uh, what's the term, impasto or whatever, the way that the you can see all the brushstrokes and the paint is kind of lifted up and all that. But it was a really tiny painting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so he's wearing the hat, and I think it's the one where there's a bandage on his ear or whatever. But the thing's really just the size of a notebook, and then it was under glass because they didn't want anyone screwing with it. Yeah. But when you see it in the art history lecture, you know, it's like 10 feet high, and then the colors are all wrong because you have like an 18th generation slide or whatever. And so I feel like, yes, I, you know, I'd never seen the work before in person, but at least with those examples, with famous paintings, you totally have these expectations built up. And so I would push back in, an, uh, in a fun way and say, you know, can you think of another example where, or am I just misinterpreting uh, uh, how you're uh, defining modernism and postmodernism? Hmm. No, I, yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, I think for me, I feel like the best, like paraphrasing of postmodernism is the is the phrase "it's complicated," right? Like <laughs> that's such a dodge, though. <laughs> like, well, the, well, no, because so here's here's my example. So for me, like if you were gonna if you were gonna unpack like what a postmodernist strawberry is, right? You would say a strawberry is a is a fruit, right? Yeah. But then you would also say strawberry is a blow pop flavor, right? <laughs> Which is also true. Yep. And you would also say like a strawberry is an air freshener scent. And then you would also say a strawberry is a derisive term in Mexico for a wealthy person, right? So, Oh, I didn't know that. So like, if you go back to me, for me, like into like, let's say, you know, from the twenties to uh, wherever, I don't know whenever 60s it, it's i mean this is the thing is like the timelines are all screwy but like uh, oh i'm gonna fail on my example and switch examples like if you think of like um buckminster fuller right like or like mm-hmm. einstein like these people who were propped up as like original thinkers you know um there was this sort of and you can if you look through old writings of these people and other people and that especially in the mid-century they sort of use this declarative writing style that is like i am speaking truth right yes um sure and and the postmodern uh concept is that that's a bunch of bullshit right like that like Mm -hmm. what you're speaking Mm -hmm. is is your interpretation of is your ideas influenced by lots of other people and by other cultures etc etc um and the strawberry is more than just a fruit. It's also an air freshener, a blow pop flavor, and a derisive term for someone in another country. So, um, 
and that's where I get to like the it's complicated thing, right? It's like it's like you you can't just sort of like stake put a stake in the ground that this is this. You have to you know, there's this sort of always this kind of cultural unpacking of like this is lots of other stuff also, you know. It seems to me like one of the th- only things that you can nail down is that postmodernism is a destabilizing force. Yes, yeah. totally. That's a great yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, I've never thought about it that way, but that's totally what it is. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to take credit for that. I, I think my rather limited notion of it was really specifically through the lens of contemporary fine art. Uh-huh. And so I had to uh, synthesize as quickly as I could while you were talking the Wikipedia definition uh-huh. of this thing from Stanford.edu. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> but the but that link, I mean, I'm glad you it inspired me to research this more. I, I'm, I always feel really self-conscious I mean, to your point about saying I'm speaking truth, you know, I, I never feel like I have enough of uh, a solid knowledge of how a philosophy operates. Yeah. I, yeah. I never feel like I'm on solid enough ground just to say, oh, it's like the, you know, uh, Benjaminian aura or the, you know, what's a who's in this or that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah. that's why, maybe that's why we make stuff and don't write papers, although I do some of that too, but I really hope to have on at least a couple of my art historian friends who are so comfortable in that area and so terrified of just making things. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Like what attention. Yeah. I mean, I always thought a good (laughs) academic paper is sort of like DJing, right? It's like someone who's so tuned into the craft of writing that they can sort of blend in tons of other references and ideas into a thing that is a new thing, you know, like that feels like a new experience of an idea um, or like a it, different it way. It feels to like it. a new experience, but it's not truly new, right? Because it's just a collection of. Ideas. Right, right, right. And that's where sort of footnotes are kind of critical to the, and like a bibliography are kind of critical to academic writing, right? It's like you're, you're recognizing that you're not actually, you didn't just like pop off of this thing, but it's like through your thinking and reading, this is where you've come to yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not good at it, so that's why I make stuff instead of write. <laughs> but, well, and this was a writing-heavy project. I mean, yep. most of the piece was just writing with a sort of attached image. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I tried I tried writing was the sort of thing for me that, on this piece, that I wanted to, was definitely in the exception realm of like me trying something that I don't normally do. Mm-hmm. Yours is really high concept. Yeah. I mean, mine yeah. was... Yeah. I'm going to make these things pewter and now they're pewter. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of deep thought. I wasn't destabilizing very much apart from the, uh, you know, the um, a billionth of a percent of the stock price at Chessex or something. Did you, uh, are you familiar with Chessex? Why, why does it sound familiar? Is it... They they cast uh, 20-sided dies and things like oh, that. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, I was thinking. Or are they reselling? I was thinking, I don't know. in my head, I was like, oh, that must be like a metals, a metals, uh, almost like a like an Enron kind of company for metals. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, man? Yeah, now we have to come up with a challenge. I, I mean, what was your thing about capitalism at the top of the show? Oh, oh, an arrow through the heart of capitalism. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> That's my vote. Uh, yeah, yeah, dude. I'm ar- I'm already making projects for. Arrow through the heart of capitalism, but that is your idea. Let's do it. All right, that's all you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it's it, like I'm already halfway to designing this project. I'm so excited. So right now, Audrey and I are watching Tango and Cash on HBO Go, which is amazing. Do you remember this movie, Rob? I I have not seen it, but I know it was like a eighty late eighties, early nineties movie. I think yeah, eighty nine, something like that. Yeah. So that's been incredible. Uh, I'm feeling pewter right now, Britannia metal. Uh, so check that out, and I'll put I'll put the shippers on there. Flocking man, waka flocka. Yep. I don't know. I'm just like I'm rocking the whole kind of crafty angle and listening to a ton of new podcasts. And some, I mean, some of them might be kind of obvious, but um, Ear Hustles one really good, which yep. is produced. Oh, you know Ear Hustles. Yeah, yeah. There's an artist, and then a uh, a fella who's in jail for a long time in California, right? Yeah, uh, 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 Folsom. Think or San Quentin, Quentin, maybe. San Quentin, I think you're right. Yeah, uh, yeah but they, they talk about all the different sort of politics and things that go on inside of prison that are interesting. And yep. There's the uh, the Trump con law, which is a uh, 
a Roman Mars joint, yep. uh, which has been amazing too. And then also, man, today I just listened to so Reply All has been getting better and better. So good. And I listened to one where they interviewed uh, Tom Fulp, the guy who started Newgrounds. Um, and Rob, you may have been, because you're a little older than me. Was Newgrounds ever uh, culturally significant yeah. to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, Flash Game, Clearing House started, what, in like, I think he was saying he got started in 96, but maybe yeah. it was more like 98 that people start hearing yeah, about it. Yeah, practical. Uh, yep, yep. I have a podcast that I'm into. What's that? It's called Conversations with People Who Hate Me. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's a, um, it's a, it's a person. His name's Dylan uh, Marin. Uh, mm-hmm. and he is, uh, makes videos, a kind of social justice kind of topic kind of videos. And so, um, he gets a lot of, um, not nice messages, like comments and stuff, uh, on these videos. Mm-hmm. And so he contacts the people who leave him mean messages and ask if they'll come on, if they'll talk to him on Skype. And then he, awesome. he records those conversations and then that's his podcast. And it's, it's good because like he is in the hot seat, like the whole time. Like it's, it's interesting because the person who's on, I mean, they're kind of just like, okay, I agreed to this thing. Let's talk about, I left you a mean message. Let's talk about why, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But for him, like, there's a lot at stake for him. Like it's his podcast. So he kind of can't, you know what I mean? Like in a way, like it's, it's more risky for him than it is for them. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's really nice to feel that energy of him just trying to also just be thoughtful and think through, like you said something really horrible to me. How do we have a conversation about it? Um, Right. And he's thought a lot more about what he about that maybe than the person who's going to be interviewed. The other person is probably just like, Oh gosh, I, I agreed to come on this thing, you know? Um, so it's, it's really good. And, um, it's done by the people who do, um, uh, Oh, welcome to Nightville. It's, it's in that family of podcasts, but it's not a, not a fictional podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I oh, I'll say one other thing I'm into. I think it's called an Optivisor. Taylor, do you have one of these? It's a, uh, a magnifying headset. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like for electronics. Um, I never really use them, I just because my glasses don't really work with them. But yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I, I never used one either because I just was like, well, it's fine. Um, yeah, it's called an Optivisor. And um, it looks incredibly nerdy. It kind of makes you look like a jeweler or something. Um, Mm -hmm. and I got, but it is amazing. Like, like I was doing some just soldering of like a, a, like a daughter board for an Arduino and just like putting together some stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that's amazing is it's not just that you can see everything close up, but that you realize that so many of your mistakes are from not being able to see close up, like, like a dry solder joint, you know, or something that. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you soldered down a wire, but it's on the wrong pin. You know, like, that kind of mistake where someone who... And you're not using a magnifier. You, I never considered how many times I think, like, oh, I think I got that right. And then realize later, you know, oh, it's not working. Oh, that's why. Like, this really sort of foregrounded why it's such a good idea to really be able to very clearly see what you're doing <laughs> when working sure, on small yeah. electronics. Um, and they... it's. Uh, it's it's not cheap. It's about forty bucks, um, and there's also like a a thing that someone has made for it, and you could make one with a three D printer or something also if you wanted. But it's like a LED mount for the visor, so it's sort of like a headlamp meets magnifier, which is quite nice. Um, but anyway, really recommended. I never used one ever, and it made like working electronics something that like I felt like I could do this for six hours straight and like be in the zone because I'm like in in the experience magnified up of like soldering up stuff together you know instead of just being like okay i'm huffing solder fumes and it's really tough and sucky so anyway i just started using one this week and it's been great um 
I have one other thing. I'm obsessed with gloves. Hey, do you use like work gloves at all? You know, I've never done it because in all the shops I ever worked in, people talked about getting sucked down into the equipment. Yep. Yep. Um, but I think that I think yeah, there's just like there's two major camps on that because clearly uh, they're really good for some stuff. Hey, so you're in the use the gloves camp. I I have been on a quest for a nice pair of gloves because I really like wearing gloves in the shop. Um, but I don't like big bulky gloves that like a mover would use. Um, I got a pair of gloves that I really like. They're they're called Grease Monkey Gorilla Gloves, and they're these kind of dipped gloves. Oh, dude. I, yeah, I just started using... I used some of those in the Homemade Chemicals episode. Oh, yeah. They're really good. Um, because they're dipped, but they're lightly dipped, so they don't... You still have a lot of tactile feel, even though they have a kind of nitrile dipping um, on the glove. Um, I use the medium size for a quite tight kind of fit and they have a lot of flex to them. That feels good. But most people probably would like a large, but um, I use medium. Um, and I, because I, I'm often doing stuff in the shop. that's like kind of dirty, but kind of not, or like mixing things up where I'm like, Oh, I got to move a bunch of boxes around. So I kind of want to wear gloves, but then I'm going to do some uh, drilling or something with like a hand tool. And so it's nice to have a glove. Anyway, um, they're really good. They're cheap. They're like five bucks a pop. Uh, they lasted pretty good. I've used them a bunch in the past few days. Um, yeah. So, and then I, I got obsessed in one side note, I got obsessed and was looking into like gaffers gloves, like gloves for like, um, industry specific things. And they were like 50 bucks and seemed kind mm-hmm. of outrageous. Mechanics is a company that makes gloves, but those are also very expensive, but I like this $5 pair quite good. So anyway, those are my two things I mentioned. Uh, you can find photos of our finished projects at our project site, which is called projects.opposablepodcast.com. We also have links in show notes. Uh, and we'll be posting uh, project stuff and other related stuff to our Instagram account. Shout out to our Instagram followers. Uh, we've been getting really cool feedback and stuff there as well. Um, we talked about sending you a sticker. Please get in touch and we'll send you a sticker. We want to send you a sticker, man. Yeah, they're super cool. Listen to you a sticker. Uh, thanks to Wolfmass for creating our logo. Uh, also, thanks to Nick, our top Patreon supporter. Thanks, Nick. Uh, if you'd like to join Nick in the League of Patreon Supporter Badasses, please go to patreon.com slash opposablethumbs to sponsor us. Uh, we have three sponsorship tiers there. Uh, so if you want to kick in a couple bucks or more than a couple bucks, that would be awesome. Uh, our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. <laughs> I was going to say, that's my that's my favorite part of that one. Yeah, that's it. We We have our challenge, Arrow Through the Heart of Capitalism. Dude, I love it. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's it's yours, man. Yeah, it's good. I just, cool. I just said, hey, yeah, some some genius just went by, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we have uh, a really cool guest, I think, coming up for the next episode. So stay tuned uh, mm, for a yeah. cool person who has been a long time listener. So it's exciting to um, have them on the show. Uh, and also, upcoming will be Halloween stuff. Got it. We got to do it. Sounds sounds fun. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. We got to squeak that in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, one other thing I'm into. One thing really quick is go to gothtober.com. Speaking of Halloween, it's a really cool website um, that a really cool creative makery person in Los Angeles does, um, uh, Juliana Park. And uh, it's a it's a website every year that's a sort of advent calendar for Halloween, and our different artists contribute a piece for each day of the month of October, and it's super cool. So go to gothtober.com. It's the best. That's all I got. Okay, man. Party on, Wayne. Yes. Excellent episode. Yeah. Good good work this week. Yeah. Exceptions to Originar. John Satram, we hope we did you proud. <laughs> that was tough. Yeah, thanks, Buzz. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, give us a buzz and tell us uh, if that's going to join your uh, your list of technology fails yes. or not. <laughs> Just fine. <laughs> cool. Taylor, I will uh, talk to you soon. I'm about to hit the road and okay, head dude. south to Los Angeles.
Yetis have weird feet? <laughs> it's Bigfoot, man. <laughs> oh, 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 right, a Yeti. Yeah. Come on, Sorry. you're contractually obligated to like my dad jokes. <laughs> I was thinking of a of a yak, a yeti, like a, a like yak a is just like a is like an ox or something. Right? I think so. Yeah, hairier, 